Welcome to Word is Truth Christian Church. Today is uh, it's November 29th, 2020, and we're ready to begin our worship service. Um, we are going to continue with the thought of the week and prayer. And here we have our thought of the week based on a verse from Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, we find ourselves in this position of death because of the justice of God. The justice of God works to enforce his righteous standards. His righteousness is the principle by which God relates to all creation. If we say God is good, it is because of his perfect righteousness that he is essentially good. God's justice is in place to administer his righteous standards. His justice guards his persons from evil, unrighteous acts, unfairness, and inequity. His love motivates them to do what righteous would not consider. For instance, because of God's righteousness, his justice condemned the entire human race because of the sin of Adam. Love motivated God to desire reconciliation with fallen man. However, love alone could not accomplish God's purposes. In fact, love cannot reverse the verdict of condemnation which came down from his justice. Love demanded that God be gracious to fallen humanity, but justice could not righteously carry it out. Love sought a way for God to be gracious to fallen man. Love found a way, but it would not be without immense cost to the persons of the Trinity. If love would find a way, it had to be a way that God's justice would approve. If the justice of God, who condemned fallen man, could not be satisfied, love's plan would not succeed. Please note, love did find a way. And that is the thought of the week. And I would just like to add to that, that we have this thought here that is not necessarily common, that there is death. There is just judgment of condemnation. And if I read Romans chapter 3, verses 10 to 12, we see that this is not something that um, is made up in our church. This is what God is telling us. He's telling us, as it is written in Romans 3.10, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. And therein is the sentence uh, Paul is referring to that God made. And that, that sentence is condemnation for the entire human race because of the sin of Adam. We all start from the same level playing field. But luckily we can trust that God did the work so that his justice would be served and mankind could be reconciled to him. At this phrase, which might be familiar to a lot of people, is John 3.16. For God so loved the world 
that he gave his only son, that whoever believed in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And I'd just like to offer that commentary um, so that we understand the bad news and the good news is relatively simple, and God had worked things out for our benefit. He is only asking that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And that is the thought of the week, and Fred will take over for the prayer. Thank you. Thank you, Dwight. At this time, uh, I want to is uh, wondering if anybody is in need of special prayer. Okay, at this time, uh, we're going to pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, oh, before we before we do begin, Fred, uh, just sorry for my late response. We're praying for Simone in particular this morning. She's on our heart, and uh, and also all of the other people who are affected by COVID this morning. So, sorry to interrupt, but go right ahead. Oh well, well before you then. We also want to pray for thankfulness that uh, family members who have had COVID have passed through it and still in time. So we want to thank God for their recovery. Yes, indeed, Bill. Okay, let us pray. Sovereign Heavenly Father, Lord, we are thankful, Lord, for this glorious day that we live on November 29th, 2020. Lord, we are grateful, and we're especially grateful, Lord, that you have preserved us and kept us, Lord, through this very trying year, not only for the word is truth and its members and its family, but you have kept us, Lord, and we are able to still be in the land of the living and still in your plan, Heavenly Father. Heavenly Father, especially... We want to pray, pray for the word is truth. All its members, the pastor, Pastor Douglas Presley, that as we continue to spread the good news of his ministry, that you might continue to bless us and multiply uh, its hearers. And as we go forward, Lord, in a special way, we're asking for prayer for Simone. Lord, you know her needs. You know where she sits this very moment. We're asking you, Lord, to look out and meet her needs, Lord. And Lord, for all those that are continuing to suffer as the virus rages and continues to spread, Lord, that you would have mercy on this country and that your will be done according and we might soon receive a vaccine which would quell and disperse of this vicious disease heavenly father we are grateful for our lives our families our the things that we have uh, our the grace that you've given us to keep living in this devil's world Continue, Lord, to unfold the riches of your inheritance to the, to the saints 
and un, as we seek to unfold and understand through the power of the Spirit, through your plan, your glory, and your love for us as sons of God. Thanking you, Father, for all his blessings. In Christ's loving name, amen. 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 <clears throat> Thank you, Fred. Thank you, Dwight. We appreciate that. We're going to move forward as we normally do. It is um, John chapter 15 and verse 11 that we, is our focus today. It reads, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Hopefully you have notes in front of you. So in your notes, it says, oftentimes many who are living the Christian life find themselves in a rut. They want to please God, but find the temptations in the world awfully consuming. Serving God becomes more of a job than a labor of love. They go from church service to church service, holding up a tradition rather than being compelled to serve in love. The apostle says, quote, For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Unquote. That's 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15. When we study Christ carefully, the Spirit reveals his heart. We can see the motivation of love that compelled him. We are caught up in that same motivational love. The sp spiritual dynamics of the new life we have in Christ can only be explained by the one who lived it, our Lord. Allow him to give us the details of his glorious life, and we will be rewarded with his joy. So uh, there's no uh, mistaking that our quest today would be to understand what is this joy. And uh, there is a lot of information in the Bible about joy. <laughs> so... How do we break it down so that we understand what the Bible means when it speaks of joy? It could be like other words, like love and faith, that we will need to make sure that we are paying attention to what the Bible uh, reveals in the context about that word, rather than developing some meaning that then we try to apply to every uh, use in the Bible. So hopefully that's uh, something that we're going to consider going forward. So if you did a concordance search on the word joy, you would find a lot of references to it and a lot of different usage. usage. So um, we're, we're going to do our best to see how Jesus understood the word joy. What did he mean when he used it in this context. So that's our goal. And as we get down to some of the notes, we will try to 
give broader understandings of how the Bible uses joy. So uh, let's get into it. Let's break it down. The first phrase that I want to look at is, I have told you this so that. So, uh, so that, the word that we, the words that are translated so that is hina in the scriptures. It is a conjunction and it means in order that, denoting the purpose or the result, albeit because to the intent that, less so as so that for to see these are all ways that the word may be translated in the bible so now we have to understand we have to bring to bear what the context is just because we have the word does not mean we just you know uh, automatically tie some meaning to it we have to make sure that we it fits the context. But no, I, I don't have a problem with the way the NIV translated it, so that. Because it is a purpose clause in that uh, it is giving us the reason for something that was already stated. I have told you this in order that, so that, right? That That is appropriate. And um, so that's what Strong brings to the table. It's good to know that when you see Hina in the scriptures, it should make you orient to the context. I, I like this word because it does just that. It makes, it makes you go back and see what is because of that or so that. Uh, so that's, that's good. So Jesus is telling us now, he's point, pointing to something he taught and what we ought to think about it. So point B... What did he tell us? Or them? Really, he's talking to the disciples here. So when we say, what did he tell them? He's really also saying, what does he tell us? Because we really have the same instruction as them. And that's John 17, 20. At the end of the, toward the end of the discourse, he says, it's not only for the disciples, but it's also for us who believe on them, on Christ, through their message. That's important. So if we miss the phrase, right, this so that uh, phrase, we miss the opportunity to integrate the context with instructions above and realize the results from this life. In other words, we should read John 5, just the immediate context that this is in, John 15, 7 through 10. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands, and remain in his love. I have told you this so that, okay, this is where we are in our phrase, but notice you see it now in context. Hopefully you know what he is telling us and we will also benefit from what continues to follow in the context. So that, right? Point C, Jesus is giving us some of the benefits or results 
of abiding or remaining in his love. We can also, we should say, extend this to the earlier architectural uh, or agricultural analogy about the vine and the branches and the fruit being born on the on those branches. So I would say all of this depends on that as well. Abiding in Christ, abiding in the vine, remaining in his love. So these are all things that Jesus has told us. And we can integrate all of them and, and they are fine so that we will understand what he needs to tell us next. So the benefits are needed as we will experience the built-in response from God, and that is joy. And that's what we're going to get to, joy. So let's, let's move right into it. There's a lot here to cover. Uh, maybe we can cover it all today. Maybe not. Doesn't worry. We're not going to rush. I want to take our time, make sure we understand what joy is. We need to know. So it says, I have told you this so that my joy, this is point number two, may be in you. So the my joy here, uh, Jesus derived joy. This is what he's already telling you when he says my joy. He derived joy from his execution of the Father's plan. So if we love him like he loved the Father, his joy can be in us. Now how do we get that? Verse 10, that which is very the previous verse. So verse 10 says, if you keep my commands... You will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. So, verse 10 helps us understand uh, what is meant by uh, this being in you, right? The same joy, the same thing Christ did to get it, is the same thing we will need to do to get it, and the result will be the same. His joy can be in us. And like it says, my joy may be in you. So uh, so that's just looking at the context and realizing the sense of what he's saying. That's really all it is. We didn't do any special examination of it. It's just more, okay, what is Jesus saying and in context? Right? How, how do we apply this? Next point. Let's look at the word joy. Kara. Now, the word joy... Uh, is a derivative of the root word for charis. Charis is the word for grace. So here, joy is kara. Uh, and here's what Strong says about it. Cheerfulness. That is calm delight. Gladness. Uh, greatly. Uh, be exceeding joy. Uh, joyful. Joyfully joyfulness, joyous, right? These are all ways the word can be used in scripture. That one word, joy. And so notice what it is. It's something that is interesting for us in this study because we are seeing that our yearning and our devotion and commitment that love has is also met on the other side by joy. It, Christ is saying it is not a drudgery or a labor to when it comes to serving the Father and doing exactly what the Father's plan requires of us. It, 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 there's, there's something 
that derives from that and it's not oh my gosh not another church service not another bible study oh open your bibles oh i'm so tired of opening my bible no it's not that at all for christ it was intriguing it was joy it was it was it, he was glad like david said i was glad to be in the house of the lord it's not something so uh, where do we get this from? Some people say, well, you got to revive that spark in you. You know, if it's dying, then here's things you need to do to revive it. Let me tell you <laughs> what you need to do to revive it. It does not come from the source of us, as we will see. It comes from the Holy Spirit. So having the joy of the Lord is not something that is manufactured in us oh well i'm supposed to have joy it's like uh, christians should be smiling okay so that means every time i look in the mirror or i look find somebody else who who is looking at me i gotta throw a smile on so they think i have some sort of joy inside not so so let's point c we could say that jesus told us this because he wants us to bear the father's fruit you know i say that because that's also in the context. If you were to read, he says, verse 15, 8, This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. We could say that that's the goal in this. But there's more, Jesus is saying, as we get to verse 11. We find that there's joy in this. Right? We're not doing this because we have to, necessarily. We're doing this because we want to. And we love this. There's a difference in my saying that. Some, somebody else might be looking on and saying, well, as long as you get the job done, I don't care what you think. Well, that's not what God is saying. That's not what Jesus is telling us. He's saying it's important to him that not only that you do in obedience what the Father requires, but it is important that you have the joy that I have in doing it. Now that, to me, says God's not just worried about us doing something externally for him. He wants us to have the full measure of joy within ourselves. That's important. That says that God is concerned about us to that degree. It's not just some taskmaster telling us that we have to perform or else. That's not how it works. God is loving. I mean, he's caring about who we are in this equation. So, so as we look at this, we could say, yeah, it's about fruit bearing. right? But no, the result of fulfilling his purpose brings joy to our hearts cheerfulness, a calm delight, a satisfaction that we are fellowshipping in the Father's eternal purpose. And, and that's my working definition right here, point number C, for joy. For this type of joy. And we're going to see that there are other uses in Scripture, but for what we're dealing with, this is my working definition for it. Okay? So it's and, and I, just as Jesus advancing the idea of it in verse 11, I'm telling you this so that, right? In other words, all that I told you is really for this. 
Yes, the father's going to be satisfied. Yes, the father is the one who planted the vineyard and is expecting certain fruit from it. But this is how you benefit from it. Okay, so so this is the... When we say, let's just read this working definition. This is important. I should have bolded it, but I didn't. His purpose is it brings joy to our hearts, a cheerfulness, a calm delight, a satisfaction that we are fellowshipping in the Father's eternal purpose. So the fact that satisfaction is our knowing. You know, we talked about yearning, right? Where it says uh, we have this hope, right? It says we, we who have the first fruits. Uh, we groan inwardly, eagerly awaiting our adoption to sonship. Right? That's that's the yearning we have in us. Guess what can meet that yearning? This calm delight and satisfaction, knowing that we are fellowshipping, that we are fulfilling the Father's eternal purpose. That's where this joy is derived from. That's where Christ got it. He just explained that earlier. That's where he got it. In the same way, you remain in his love and you'll have it. So hopefully, this is something we can use going forward. Point D, let's move forward. Joy, then, is a calm, resolute cheerfulness derived from our steadfast love. And love is commitment and devotion for the Father's plan. It's not just us saying, okay, uh, Whatever God says, I will do it. Commitment and devotion comes from the source of us. It's a volitional choice. Love is, is a volitional choice that we have of our own free will. What we want to do for our own lives. How we, how we give ourselves to the Father. And Jesus said it a lot of different ways. He says, if a man does not pick up his cross and follow me. Rather, In other words, your life is in your hands. If, you, if Christ is asking for you to pick up your life and go to the cross, follow him. And this is the goal in our spiritual life. It's all or nothing, right? This is, you know, this is what God requires. He wants a full commitment. He says, I want your heart, your soul, your mind, your body, and your strength. All of that is everything you have here on earth. That's the whole ball of you. And Christ is saying, I want all of it in order to execute the greatest plan that stems back to the reason why all things exist. Will you give yourself to this purpose is the question. So it's a calm, resolute cheerfulness derived from our steadfast love for the Father's plan and our execution of its commands. And I have for reference here John 14 and chapter 14 and 15 because really he's been talking about this all through those chapters. Remember the disciples were upset, upset about Jesus leaving. Jesus leaving is according to the Father's plan. Later, he says, well, if I don't leave, the Comforter, you know, he, he's, he won't come to you. If, if I leave, then he will send the Comforter to you. So these, these words in those two chapters all do lead to this point. 
And it helps us to know because there will be execution required of us. We will need to be obedient to the Father's plan. It won't be just, oh, do whatever you want and I'll be happy with that. No, it really, it does boil down to you executing the Father's plan. And guess what? There's, there's a, at the end of it, there's the judgment seat of Christ to evaluate what we have done while we were here. So, so yeah, there are expectations on our lives. Whether we complete or come to the fullness of them will depend not on what boxes you checked while you were here, but it depends on the proper motivation that you had. So, point E. Let's, let's keep going in our notes. Love and joy give balance to our lives. Just like learning to walk. So, when we talk about that, love and joy. So, the love is the very commitment and devotion, right? How do we get to that point? Well, it takes humility, first of all. Takes tremendous humility on our part to be able to allow God to lead us and guide us into all truth. We we don't just automatically adapt to information that is foreign to us. That is what I can't see, neither has it entered into the heart of the man. This information is out of this world. How in the world could we possibly know this information? Well, we can only allow God to teach us. We can't discover it by digging up rocks and ancient civilizations or, or trying to study the moon, the sun, the stars. This information can only come from God the Holy Spirit if you let it. That's what's important about that, if you let it. So, so then there's, that's that love. But then on the other side of love, we could say is... The obedience, you know, what we love, we do. We love what God's the Father's plan is. We're pleased to be in his service. We're not grudgingly, okay, this is what you want me to do. Okay, Jews and Gentiles in one body, oh, well, we have to endure it. Okay, we'll, we'll fellowship with them. Okay, we don't have to keep the law anymore. Okay, you're putting us... All those things, we don't grudgingly give in to those. We want them. We've come to learn, and and our obedience flows from love. But guess what comes after that? Joy. Joy in our execution of the plan. So I just made this little thing up about walking. So the first, so it's like learning to walk is what I say. So the left leg moves forward. This is literally with love's motivation. And dedication and joy in the fulfilling of the Father's plan. So that's what is all about our motivation, right? So why do I put joy in the left leg? I could have put joy in the right leg because then the execution of it, we're happy, right? Because we fulfilled it, right? There's a joy in that. I could have put it in the right leg, but the left why didn't I put it in the left leg? It's because it's part of our motivation. It becomes part of our encouragement. Because it's part of love. It's Even though it's part of love's result, it's part of love. 
because it, it begins, a, it becomes a part of our motivation. We are, we are more willing to suffer for Christ because of joy. And we'll see some scriptures related to that later. So I, I did stick it in the left leg. Could win in the right leg too, but I just wanted to point that out. So the left leg moves forward with love's motivation and dedication and joy and fulfilling the Father's plan where we want to do it. And then the right leg follows with obedience to. Just like Christ said, do exactly what the Father has commanded me. Now notice, love is not uh, paraphrasing or, you know, us interpreting God's will in our own way. Love is doing exactly what the Father has commanded. And that that's obedience. right? You're not obedient if you heard what the Father wanted and you only did half of it. Or you, you agree with it, but you don't actually do it. Right? it you, know, you say, well, this is what I like to do, but you never actually do it. Christ said, I love the Father, and I do exactly what the Father has commanded. We could have said it another way. This is where the rubber hits the road. This is where the right leg and the shoe drops down and hits the road because we need to be more than just what we want to do. We have to be uh, on the side of execution as well. What did we actually do? And so it's like saying, I want to spend time in God's Word. I mean, I, everybody wants to do that. If you ask most Christians, they'll be like, yeah, this is what I want to do. But then the question becomes, do we do it? Do we actually carve out time in our day in order to spend time in the Word with God? So it takes execution to do that. Not only the, the desire and the want, but the obedience part fulfills everything. It satisfies what we wanted. Especially if we, what we wanted is right in the first place. So that's the left leg and the right leg following up with that obedience to the Father's plan. It's not just obedience to morality. If you're struggling with obedience to morality, yes, you should be obedient to morality. But Jesus is talking about something a little different here. He's talking about executing the Father's new plan that is revealed. So this point three is just a scripture. It's 3 John 1, 4. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in truth. Notice John is saying that he has that joy as a result of hearing the children. And what are the children doing? They're, they're just children? No, they're walking in truth. That means they're fulfilling the plan. That's what John is recognizing. He, he'd been teaching them and teaching them. And now look at the results that the children are actually walking. They didn't say there's no greater plan than the children to want to walk in truth, but they're not doing it, but they want to do it. No, it's that they're doing it. Or, or it's like Paul's um, giving praise to the Ephesians for their and uh, their, what they have done. So if you go to Ephesians 1, 
15, he says, For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people. Right? So he heard about them. It's not that they just said that they had love, but they had there were acts performed by them that when other people heard about it, it got to the Apostle Paul's ears. So, so it's doing, it's not just. And now you know who has a big uh, to-do about this? James, the Apostle James. He had a theme that he wanted to develop about make sure you're a doer of the word, not just a hearer. And notice he said a forgetful hearer, but that we should also be doers of the word. So a lot could be said about this, but we don't want to overemphasize the doer part because the doer part comes from the love, the motivation, right? Because if you overemphasize this point, you know what people will do? They'll say, okay, I'm going to do it. And they can do it from their own free will, their own motivation. No, the motivation that we have to have comes from love, which is our humility of submission to whatever the Father's plan is. Allowing the Holy Spirit to lead and guide us in the truth. It has to do with knowledge and wisdom. It's not just what your thoughts are or what motivation you can muster in order to make it work. So walking in the truth says it all. So James says, well, you can tell me about all the faith you have, which is faith meaning doctrine. In other words, you're saying I'm mature. If you said you got a lot of faith or you're strong in faith. So you could tell me that. But he says, better show me by what you do. So James, even though I don't have them in my notes here, you could put them in yours. But that is a good thought. Uh, that seems to be developing from these points. So let's keep moving. we got a lot more to cover. Point F. So Jesus intends that the same motivation and satisfaction that consumed his life would be our motivation as well. Where do we get this from? Verse 10, right? Uh, this is where we covered before. This is reinforcement here to say that 15... What we covered last week was a very pivotal and uh, important verse. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. So this is Jesus saying how we ought to remain in his love and what is required for it. Just And then he says, just as I have kept my father's commands and remain in his love. In other words, what, what I'm asking you to do is what I have done. I'm not asking you to do what I cannot do or haven't done. I'm asking you to walk in the steps that I laid out for you. I'm asking you to do what I did when I was here. That's that's how I'm asking you to respond. So that's the motivation. And then John 17, let's look at this. John 17, 16 through 18 is another text I think accentuates this. John 17, 16, they are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you have sent me into the world, I have sent them 
into the world. So again, it's just exactly how Jesus is saying uh, happened to him. As you have sent me into the world, Father, I'm now sending them into the world. Just like I had a plan when I was here, they have a plan while they are here. Same thing Jesus is saying, sanctify them by your truth, by the truth. And what is the truth here, as we know? Spirit of truth here. We are to be set apart by the spirit of truth. Not just truth in general, or what somebody says is objectively true. Somebody says, well, you know, it is daytime. And you look outside and you see the sunshine and say, yeah, that's truth. No, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the special truth that has been hidden and that is now revealed for us. So sanctify them, verse 17, by the truth. Your word is truth. So, so the truth comes, the source of the truth comes from the word. And that is how we derive truth from the spirit of truth. So, so we, we have that as part of our responsibility in the world, is to be familiar. And that's part of love, too, your devotion to the truth. You're allowing the truth to be a part of your experience. So point G, let's move forward in our notes. And this is all my joy may be in you. Point G, hence the joy that was his while here may also be ours as we are his body in the world. And um, a couple of scriptures, Philippians 1 through 5, you know Philippians. Uh, we've been here before. I don't know if we've ever read these verses. Uh, we probably have. But let's start, 1 through 5. Philippians, uh, it's chapter 2, 1 through 5. I hope I have that. Yes. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing of, in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but, also, but each of you to the interests of others. So that's where uh, I want to focus that whole thought is, is how that humility and all those things lead to the apostle's joy. And so what does that mean? It means that we are walking in truth, that we are fulfilling the purpose that we have been called. And the apostle who is in the position to lay down what is the truth and to reveal to us the hearts uh, and minds of what, you know, the, the doctrines that have derived from what the spirit of truth has taught us. He's, the, the apostle is happy because of this. His, his joy is being made complete or filled as he thinks about what we ought to be and how we ought to be. And he gives, the next thought is he gives Christ as an example. Verse 5, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And then he goes into who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. 
and it goes on. You know the verse now. So this is important for us to, to note because we are his body in the world and God has expect, expectations of us and joy becomes a motivation that we get an encouragement just like love. Joy, joy is when we fulfill the purpose of God, then it becomes an encouragement to us, willing to stand under the pressure of whatever this world can, can throw at us. And then there's John 16.33. Let's move forward. Uh, John 16.33 simply says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. And the reason I threw this out is because peace, joy, love, these things are related. And guess what? The Holy Spirit is what produces these things in us. It's not just us having these things. It's just that shows that we are adhering, abiding, remaining in his love. This helps us understand what the results can be. Peace. Like in this world, you will have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. So Christ is saying, I'm, t I'm telling you this so you can have the same kind of peace I have. Christ had that peace, and now he's saying, you can have it. You're in the world, you're part of who I am, and now you ought to function the same way, with the same motivations that I had. That's literally what he said. Just as I have kept, abided and remained in my Father's love and, and obeyed his commands. Same way. It's all integrated that way. So, point H is just a scripture, but let's look at it. It's Hebrews 12, 2. A famous, a classic scripture. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. Now notice, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. That's Hebrews 12, 2. So notice, for the joy set before him. So there is joy in what Christ, him, him executing the Father's plan. Right? Christ went and the, the trail that he, tra that he tra went down, that trail is the same trail that we have to go down. Now we don't have to pay for the sins of the world. That's for sure. We don't have to endure the cross, scorning its shame. But we have to take up our own cross and give up our lives. The same thing he had to do. We don't, we don't have to go the same route he did in terms of paying for the sins of the world. He did that already for us. We can't pay for any sins. But, but what we can do is give up our life in the same manner as he did. And we can have peace about it. We can have joy about it. Love. Why? Why would we have such things? It's because we know that we're fulfilling the Father's eternal purpose while we're here. That we are literally executing the plan that was laid out for us. And there is some sort of synergy, some niche in our lives that somehow uh, feels natural to us when we do that. That we feel like we are... Uh, 
existing for the purpose that we are here. And that yearning is satisfied by the joy that we have. So, let's keep going. I think we're... I, I was worried that we were going to have to split this up, but we'll we'll keep moving forward. Hopefully, as long as we understand, and hopefully it's clear, then uh, this is where we want to be. So let's keep going. Um, so it says, the whole phrase again, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you. And this last phrase is, and that your joy may be complete. Let's dig in. So, joy may be complete. Now, let's look at that word, complete. Now, we, we had the opportunity of looking at pleroma on uh, Wednesday. And we saw what pleroma brought to the table in terms of us being the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. That's a, we are the body of Christ. So, now we have... Uh, Oh, this is the verb form of that same word. So it says, uh, Strong says, to make replete, that is, to cram, uh, to level up, or to furnish, right? to imbue, imbue, diffuse, influence, satisfy, execute. These are to finish a period or, or task, to verify or concede with prediction, um, accomplish, complete, expire, and expire, fill, fulfill, make full, come, fully preach, per perfect, supply. So these are all ways pleuro'o is used in scripture. And uh, it's good for us to know. And again, even if we read those definitions, we always, as I said earlier, have to make sure that the context tells us how the writer wants to use the word. That's more important than even what the definition of the word is. Because he could be using the word in, in metaphorically or as a simile or something. So we have to make sure we understand what the writer meant when he used that word. So, so that's the definition. It's long, but again to fill up, to, to furnish, to, you know, so, and, and that my joy may be complete, that my joy may be uh, satisfied. I like the, the word satisfied because it does satisfy something in us. And what is it? It is the motivation of love and obedience. Joy comes along and satisfies, which to our, is to our souls, to us as we exist here in the world, as pilgrims and strangers. So let's, let's move forward. Point B, your joy. Your joy, right, is the focus. As we grow in grace, Christ's life is more and more manifest in us. Now, this is the dynamics, the spiritual dynamics. So this is what happens as we grow in grace. Christ begins to take over more and more. Just as our love increases or is made perfect, and that's in 1 John 4, 16 and 17. And we should know that love does increase and it does grow. And I'm turning to 1 John 4, 16 and 17 to read it. So it says, and so we know, this is 4, 16, and rely on the love of God 
love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. So this whole point here where you could miss is the lives in love part. So lives means how you conduct your life, right? How you order your life. It's the same thing we've been talking about in John 15 where it says, remain in me, abide in me. <clears throat> it's how we live our life. And if we do it in love, right, then God lives in us. Right? Whoever lives in love lives in God, and God in them. Those to mutual possession. So this is what I meant when I tried to use this mutual possession understanding of how the exchange is the more we give ourselves to God and his plan, the more Christ begins to manifest in our life. To the point where Paul says, for me to live is Christ. And that's, Paul is telling you, as he, his life here in the world, he has totally given it over to the Son to be able to do whatever he wants to do. Paul is saying, it's not mine anymore. I'm dead. I'm separated. I'm dead to the law. I was a Pharisee, but I'm dead to the law now. My, the life I live in the in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, and who loved me and gave me gave Himself for me. That's Galatians two twenty. So, so that's this love. Whoever lives in love, lives in God, and God in them. So, so that lives in God and God in them becomes the expression of our experience on earth if you live in love. Right? Love is the man, the motivation that we've been talking about. Right? So then, verse 17, this is how <clears throat> love is made complete among us. And get, again, there's our word, play role. This is how love is made complete. Look at that. You get to know how it works. From John's perspective, this is how love is made complete among us so that, there's a Hina again, we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. So notice what that does for us. Living with that motivation of love, it gives us confidence on the day of judgment. So, so back to our notes quickly. So this is how love is made complete in us, or perfect, right? Our joy, this is point B, we're still in the notes, our joy also intensifies or is made full, complete. So that as love intensifies and is incomplete, so does joy have a threshold where God is saying we can have love, but God's love is complete. And what will that result in? Well, that will result in you will have confidence on the day of judgment. In other words, when you reach the judgment seat of Christ, there won't, since you know that Christ is already manifesting in your life and he was living your life, then when you get to judgment, he's not going to have much to say, but well done. Because you, you got out of the way and you allow Christ to manifest in you. It won't be, won't be, well, what did you do? Let me see, let me pick it apart here and there and there. No, he's going to tell you that you will be rewarded for the things done while in the body. Because the fruit has been born by you. 
So you could have confidence. You don't have to have fear. So perfect love drives out fear. Fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. I'm going beyond the scripture, but you should do that as well in your readings when you look up references and such. Go beyond. I'll just read the, the verses I give you. We just don't have the time. We're constrained. So we, we have to abide in a certain amount of time. So you, But you don't. You can take that home and do what you need to do. So that's how it, it, it intends. That's how your joy, so that your joy may be complete. Point C, this joy does not originate with us. It is the fruit or the result of the Holy Spirit. So Romans 15, 13, Galatians 5, 22. Let's look at some scriptures. Hopefully you remember um, that joy is part of the fruit of the Spirit that we have as part of some of the things that it says. So Romans 15, um, 13, I believe, is our scripture. It says, May the God of hope fill you with joy. Now notice, the God of hope. Yeah. So we have a hope in the Christian life. right? And that's, that's what he's referring to in these, in these verses, even though he's relating to uh, some Old Testament passages. He's trying to show that the hope that we have is not something that God um, never has thought about. Hope can be related to other hopes. It's like Israel had a hope. But may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him. So that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. So all of these things are part of what comes from the Holy Spirit influencing us. Joy, peace, trust in him. Right, That all of that. Our trust in him is our acquiescence to the influence of the Holy Spirit. And the hope is what God, the Holy Spirit, builds in us through perseverance, and which eventually has hope. So that's just another. And then we know the Galatians uh, chapter 5 and verse 22. We could look at 22 and 23. says... Um, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, uh, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such, there is no law. So notice the fruit of the Spirit is all of those things. Now, is there more things that the fruit of the Spirit can manifest in your life? The answer is yes. Don't just stick to these things. The fruit of the Spirit is multifaceted in how it deals with us. Often it deals with us uh, related to uh, the issues at hand. What the Spirit can produce in us is exactly what we need at the time. And these things are all not on, on, on deck. All these things are what just some of the things the Holy Spirit can produce in us. But what it needed to produce, what he needed to produce, and then if you go back to verse 15 in Galatians 5, he says, if you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. Notice there was a lot of things going on in the church 
that the Holy Spirit needed to bring strength and balance to. And so that's why you see a lot of the things here that is, it speaks of love, joy, peace, right? It, there are other things that the Holy Spirit can bring. I don't want to make the Holy Spirit into a box that, that he can only do the, you know, this. So joy is a part. It's, it, it's manufactured by means of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, ain't, he's not going to manufacture joy in you if you're not walking according to his influence. Well, what will happen? He will be grieved if you're not. He will be quenched if you're not. But joy is what you get as a result of the Holy Spirit manifesting that in your heart from your execution of the plan. So then 1 Thessalonians 4, 8, uh, 4, no, it's 1 Thessalonians 1, 4 through 8. Let's go there quickly. 1 Thessalonians 1, 4 through 8 says, For we know, <clears throat> brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, with and deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of our Lord, of the Lord. For you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. So notice, uh, this is also... Uh, what we are seeing joy to be as encouragement, right? So they were in the midst of severe suffering, but they were able to endure it through the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And this is something, as I was trying to refer to earlier, of how joy affects us, because it, it is our demeanor. It is how we see the world and what our outlook is. It is cheerfulness. It is a gentleness, a calm, a peace, right, that we have as a result of us knowing that we are fulfilling the purposes of God. And that joy is part of what we also need to overcome the obstacles and the persecution and suffering that is in this world. So verse 7, and so, you became a model to all believers in Macedonia and Achaia. So this is, Paul is saying, this is, this is important for people to understand that the, this, this is how it should work. See it, we were called, all those things. We had deep conviction, right? Holy Spirit, you, you know how we lived. You saw our example, you, saw, you know the Lord's example, and, and this is how it manifested in you. Verse 8, the Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it because it speaks for itself. Yeah. They themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. And, and they tell how you turn from God to idols, uh, from from, from uh Turn to God, sorry, from idols to serve the living and true God. So, so that there's other verses that you can continue to read, as I said, just to make sure you have the richness of the context. 
for what I'm trying to say right here. So this is, this, as I said, this joy does not originate with us. Just keep that in mind. It is something produced in us. And if this is going to be something produced in us by God the Holy Spirit, that means that we have to adhere to what the Spirit is, is saying. He's not going to produce joy in us if we are not fulfilling his purpose. It doesn't make any sense. He's grieved. Point D, there are many uses. And I did a count, and there's 218. I counted each one painstakingly. No, the, the concordance told me this. There are many uses of the word joy. Now, remember, if you, this is from the NIV, that is. If you look at the King James, it might have more, it might have a few less, or whatever version you read. But in the NIV, it's 218 times the word joy is used in the Bible. And a lot of it, is Israel, and you could find it in the Psalms. Um, you could find it in Proverbs. You could find a lot in Isaiah. So the bulk of them you're going to find in the Old Testament, but we have a significant amount in the New Testament. So it, it is, I just want to kind of give you the breadth of how the word is used, and there's a lot of uses in the Bible. So I couldn't break down every use that there was, but I did look at the prominent uses in the Bible, and I try to give them to you. So, in, in two ways here. So, there is what we call circumstantial joy, and then there is, uh, and I just came up with these names. Don't look for them anywhere. <laughs> these are just Dougisms. So, circumstantial joy, and then joy derived from fulfilling the Father's eternal purpose. So, let's look at what we mean by circumstantial joy. It's the state of being, this state is derived from a circumstance or event that is favorable or desired. And so this is, hopefully that makes sense. And we'll look at a few verses. I don't know if we need to read them all, but I'll, I'll try to read as many as we can just to make sure we understand what is circumstantial mean. What do I mean by that? So, so Matthew 13 is the first 44 is the verse let's see 44 says the kingdom of heaven is is that right no that yeah let me see oh yeah 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 okay so the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field when a man found it he hid it again and then in his joy he went and sold all that he had and bought the field Notice, in his joy. So what happened? He, did he have this joy before this circumstance that he was happened to be, uh, you know, digging and found this treasure? He hit, so then he hid it again. And because all those actions that he took after were because of the joy that was in him, the, the happiness, the gladness, the, the cheerfulness. But the cheerfulness is not just, well, that just makes me smile like somebody told a joke and now I smiled. The cheerfulness is related to the plan of God. And notice what this man found. He found something, a treasure and hidden in the field. He says, and Jesus is, is likening that to the kingdom of heaven or God's plan, right? This is what Jesus is relating in this parable. So, uh, and then there's um, Matthew 28. Let's look at that one. Uh, Matthew 28 and verse 8. 
So it says, so the woman hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy. This is about the resurrection, right? So when they, they saw that he is, the Christ was risen. And uh, this is what they did. They ran, they were excited. The joy motivated them. They were filled, it says they were filled with joy and ran to tell his disciples. Now, that's what we call circumstantial joy. They didn't have the same, this abiding joy or something before. They, they were sad. And their sadness was turned into joy because of the circumstance of them realizing the tomb is empty and Christ is risen, etc. Let's keep going. Luke 10, 17. We'll move quicker. Luke 10 verse 17 says the 72 returned with joy and said lord even the demons submit to us in your name so this is when jesus sent them out two by two and you know I'm, i imagine they were hesitant and you know tentative about going out and with this new this message and yet uh, when jesus told them what to do and how to do it they went out out and and they had success so this happens. So the joy that they realize, it says, um, it says that they returned with joy. And what did they say? Even demons, you know, follow the instruction you gave us. So they're listening. Uh, and there's another example of circumstantial joy. 1620, John 1620. I want to read something from John since that's where we are. 1620 says, Verily, verily, I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will be turned to joy. So, obviously, he's talking about the roller coaster of emotions that they would have to go through uh, when you know, describing the death, burial, resurrection, and ascension that is just ahead of them, hours ahead of them, this hours and days ahead of them as Christ will be in the tomb for three days. They will be in this period for three days. So they will grieve and they will mourn right, the loss of Christ. and But then it will turn to joy because of the resurrection. Again, that's the circumstance of joy. They weren't happy before that. They didn't have this abiding cheerfulness. right? So um, Acts 8 the book of Acts. Uh, uh, and you know what? I picked a few of these out, but boy, there are so many of these that you could find. But we don't have time to cover them all. Acts chapter 8, 4 through 8. I don't know, let's see. Acts chapter 8. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the message there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks and pure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. So there you have the situation where Philip comes and proclaims Christ in Samaria. In Samaria, remember, these are places where Jews would not go. In fact, they were enemies of the Jews because the Jews saw them as imposters, and uh, they hated them. 
and Samaritans, Samaritans in kind hated him right on back. <laughs> no problem for them. So, so this is, um, all these things are representative of what we would call circumstantial joy. You could have this. You got uh, something happened in your life uh, that is related to, you know, that you got some favorable news or something, and all of a sudden you have this feeling of gladness and cheerfulness. That's joy. But what we're talking about is joy that is manufactured through means of the Holy Spirit where you've understood something about the plan of God. So point number two, let's move to joy derived from the fulfilling of the Father's eternal purpose. And we're just about ready to wrap this up. So joy der derived from the fulfilling of the Father's. So John 15, 11 is our first text, the one we're actually in. Yeah, and that your joy may be complete. So sometimes, you know, when we're, I underline this for this reason. Sometimes I'm giving these verses and, you know, I'm saying, yeah, this is where the Bible talks about joy and so much, right? Uh, so what I want to say there is, hey, the reason I'm showing you these other verses is because the verse we're in says it. And really, we don't need a whole lot of other verses for God to establish a truth. We just need one verse. And the other verses verses are meant to complement that one verse. So I hope that you see that. The verse we're in speaks of the joy that may be in us and that our joy may be complete. But there's also other verses to corroborate that message. So then let's go to John 16, 24. John 16, and 24. Let's look at that. So it says, Until now you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. So when you participate in the plan and you see that your prayers are being answered, it is, it is fulfilling and encouraging and it makes you cheerful that you had a part to play. And the Father's eternal purpose. That he extended the privilege of you being able to execu execute the greatest plan that stems before from before creation. And that you have an opportunity to participate in that plan. That is joy being made complete in us. Or 1713. I might have already read this one, but we'll read it again. 1713. Uh, this is Jesus. I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I, I am still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. So why is he saying it? He's saying it because it relates to the world, right? The joy that we have is relative or related to to or compared with the problems and the difficulties that we're having in this world. So that's why Christ is saying, I'm saying this now while I'm still in the world so that they may have my, the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word. The world has hated them. They are not of the world any more than I am of the world. So there is, that's a joy that we have that we can be made complete as we continue to follow the Father's plan for our lives 
And just Jesus' prayer to the Father. Second, Second Corinthians 8 2. Second Corinthians 8 2 says, In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. So get this. So this enduring joy, that just, you know, steadfast joy that God, the Holy Spirit, produces in our heart, it, it helps us when it comes to uh, our motivations in this world. So what happened here in the Corinthians? Uh, it says, well, it was really about the Macedonian churches, the Philippians where he's telling the Corinthians what happened and how they responded. So they had severe trial in the, in the middle of it. But their, but their overflowing joy, and coupled with their extreme poverty, welled up in rich generosity. So even though they had nothing, but they didn't have a lot of money, but they had overflowing joy. And... What did it result in? Their rich generosity. It, they didn't have much. These are people who didn't have much, but they knew what was important. And they had joy from being able to participate in that and to be able to provide for the apostle and so that the message would continue to be uh, delivered by the apostles wherever they went. So that's 2 Corinthians 8.2. Galatians 5.22, we already read. So I, I was talking about the Holy Spirit produces in us love, joy, peace, all those things. How about let's go to 1 Peter 1.8. 1 Peter 1 and 8. Let's look at that. And it says, Though you have not seen him, that's Christ, you love him. So, so there it is. All these things, as you read from verse to verse, just remember all the underpinning things that we talked about that go along with this. And then make sure that you see them, or part, or some of them, in the verses that we cover. Here, it is easy to see. Those, uh, though you have not seen him, that's Christ, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith. Notice all the things we talked about. The deliverance or the salvation of your souls. Notice all that we, we spoke about when we talked about joy. There it is in one verse. Right? It's a result of the fulfilling of the Father's eternal plan and purpose, the joy, the glorious joy. All of that, Peter succinctly put for us in just one or two verses. It's a quick thought. Let you know Peter was on board. He, he knew exactly what he was talking about when it comes to this. So, so there you have joy derived from the fulfilling of the Father's eternal purpose. That's the joy we get and, but there, there's also other ways of seeing joy derived from others fulfilling the, the eternal purpose of the Father. And there we have First Thessalonians. I'm going to turn there. 
real quick. We might as well cover this. 1 Thessalonians 2. Um, let's see. Let's get there. 2, 19 through 20. So, for what is our hope, our joy, or our crown in which we will glory in the presence of Lord, our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. So, this is where the apostle is deriving, you know, joy from not only his walking in truth, and that's a measure of joy for himself, but he's saying by others fulfilling that same purpose, right? He, he gets joy, and he even says it's his crown. In other words, it is proof that he has fulfilled the purpose of God, and because these people are doing the very same thing. He says, is it not you? You are my joy, and how you are walking in the truth. And that's how Paul expresses that. As well, uh, joy derived from others is First John. There's just several passages. Let's look at First John. The very one, verse you, I know you know, First John 1, 4. He says, we write this. He's talking about the fellowship that we have with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. He says, we write this to make our joy complete. The intention is that you walk in fellowship, right? That you conduct yourself according to fellowship, walking in the light as he is in the light, right? That's important. John is saying if the reason why we're penning this, that we're putting this in writing, is that you follow uh, the same fellowship and the same joy that we are experiencing. This will make our joy complete, right? Our meaning the apostles' joy. And then there's also 2 John 1, 4. 2 John 1 and 4 says, we write this to make our joy complete. Again, he, he, he says the same thing. But what is he talking about? We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard. Uh-oh, oh, I'm sorry. Did I? 2 John 1. I did not actually turn to it. Sorry. 2 John 1, 4. It has given me great joy to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as the Father commanded us. Now notice, there it is right there. Walking, find some of your children walking in the truth. What does it have? Given us great joy. That's what result it had in us. So the cheerfulness, the abiding confidence and and joyfulness that we have. And then there's... um. Third uh, John, uh, one. Let's turn to Third John, one, three and four. Uh, I think that's or three, yeah, three and four. So it says it gave me great joy when some believers came and testified about your faithfulness to the truth, telling how you continue to walk in it. I have no greater joy than to hear my children are walking in the truth. So notice what wells up in the apostle is that not only that he is following the, uh, the plan of the Father, but that those who he has taught, those under his authority, are also catching on to the love and the motivation, and it brings him great joy as well. So 
hopefully these verses help to understand some of the ways joy is used. So the last scripture I'll just throw out there is, in the last point, is the jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. And this probably could be used as circumstantial joy because the jailer heard the gospel and believed. That also included in derived joy from fulfilling the Father's plan, knowing that he and his household are saved. Uh, and this is that famous uh, Acts 16, 30. What must I do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. You and your household. And now we can see his whole household believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to continue with this thought. I know we're over time next next week and um, at this point let's bow our heads thank you father for the word you have given us and we pray that it was understandable and as we particularly pay pay close attention to what you've said in these verses we pray that your spirit will teach us give us wisdom as we continue to work our, our salvation with fear and trembling and we thank you, Father, for choosing us from eternity past to be in Christ. Thank you for this privilege to serve in this way that we have. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. 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 Amen.